Well, I want you to uh, open up your Bible today and turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 6, Navigating the Waters of Parenting. As I give this message today, I want to mention to you that there is no way in one message to say everything there is to say about parenting. This is something that goes on for a person's life. If you want a much more detailed series on the family, I would recommend to you our series, and it's on YouTube and and on our different platforms. In audio, YouTube would be on video, and it's called God, Your Family, and You. God, Your Family, and You. I think there are either 13 or 14 different messages on that. Very, very vital issues dealing with marriage and dealing with raising your children or training up your children. Today we are kind of doing an overview and we are looking at it from a little different perspective. We're going to be covering not only where you find yourself as far as parenting, if you're a parent, but also for those of you who have little kids at this point, what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with that down the road as they get older? So navigating the waters of parenting. Let's begin with this, that the biblical view of family is much different than the way most people see it. Most people are completely ignorant of what family is supposed to be today, especially with the attacks on the family, redefining the family. That is not what family is, the way the world is defining the family today. Many see the family just as simply something they would like to experience. Well, I'd like to get married, have a family one day. They're wondering, what would that be like? Well, it's more than an experience. It is a life-changing thing. And not only that, but God is the one who designed the family. By the way, it's one man, one woman. If they're going to have children, they have children out of that. This is the way God planned it. Now, I know different things come into the picture. There's the death of a spouse. Uh, people go through divorce and so forth and all of that. Again, don't, don't even ask me, well, what does the Bible say about that? This is not the day to deal with that. All right, that's a whole different issue. Here's the point though. Family is defined by God because he is the creator of the family. And anything that doesn't follow God's plan of family is not right. It is not correct. It is not what God intended. And it's going to bring with it all kinds of issues. Again, many see the family just as simply something they would like to experience. In other words, what's it like to have a baby? What's it like to be, have a toddler? What's it like to have a teenager? You don't want to know that last one until you get there, by the way. <laughs> some see it as, honestly, some see it as doing their part in populating the planet. All right? That was uh, somewhat of the mindset when I was a child, the way adults saw it. Well, we're going to do our part. We're going to continue populating the planet. And by the way, because somebody, maybe somebody here today or watching, you may have thought, well, that's not a good idea because the planet's overpopulated. No, it's not. You've swallowed a lie. The world is not overpopulated. There are only certain areas of the world that are overpopulated where people have chosen to live together in tight quarters and those places continue to be more and more populated. Anybody who gets outside of any city in the United States knows that the world is not populated. There are places all over the planet that are barren land where nobody lives 
So don't believe that the world is overpopulated. That is a secularist mindset that is contrary to the way of God. The creator of the family, God, teaches us in the Bible that to have a family comes with a goal. Okay, God has a goal for your family. And the goal is raising up our children to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Leading them to Christ and then raising them up to follow Christ and live for him with their life. That is the goal of parenting. Simply put, that's what it all comes down to. All the time that you invest in your children, all the work that you do to provide for them, all the education you provide, all of that, it is all supposed to be to the end of them trusting Christ as Savior and then growing up to be a follower, once they're saved, a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a completely foreign concept to most parents, but if you read the Bible, which is put together by the designer of the family, God, if you read the Bible, it becomes very clear that this is what God intended family to be. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. You notice these aren't suggestions from God. These are commandments from God. That you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments. Now watch this. Which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son. Boy, that's multi-generational. See, this is supposed to go multi-generational. All the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Jump down to verse six. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You notice it's got to be in you. And by the way, when the Bible talks about the Bible being in a person's heart, it means that they have embraced it, that this is something that they've not only learned or got, have heard it in their mind, okay, through their ears, but it's something that they've allowed to go deep into them. Verse six again, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. By the way, if they're not in your heart, you're not gonna teach them diligently to your children because it won't matter to you. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Now, when you have children, you are entering into a life of adventure and challenge, all right? There's nothing like it. It will change you. You might say, well, what's the difference between, you know, being married and and having a family, having kids? You know, it's all the same. It's not the same. Believe me, it's not the same. There's something about what children do to you once you become a parent. One of the purposes of marriage, not the only purpose, but one of the purposes of marriage is to have children if God so sees fit to make it possible for you to have children. And with that, to train up the next generation of children for Christ. So if God gives you children, he expects you to train them up in the nurture, the training and the admonition of the Lord. That is what God does. When he puts that child into your family, With it comes the responsibility that I've just mentioned to you. So we have a deep 
and sobering responsibility. Successful parenting is driven by biblical love. Everything that goes into successful parenting is driven by biblical love. And it is an unconditional love. Now, let me define when we talk about unconditional love, what we mean by that. Unconditional love is not saying that you approve of everything they do and that you dismiss rebellion when they rebel. Listen, folks, rebellion comes with a price. Part of a child's education is they must learn that actions have consequences. You can't do whatever you want and it's okay. And parents sometimes think, well, you know, I just love them so much. I love them too much to correct them. You're not doing them any favors. That is not the way life is. You break the law, you pay the price. Okay, it needs to be the same. That needs to be taught. Those values, the, the, the right and wrong, the, the principle of sowing and reaping needs to be taught to our children. This is life. And to teach them that and to insist on that and to train them according to that, it's not because you're an ogre or you're mean. What it is, is it shows how much you actually do love them. You love them enough to let them know that what they're doing is not right, that it's not acceptable. Unconditional love is not saying that you approve of everything they do. You take the prodigal son, okay? The prodigal son was a rebel. He was a rebel. He left his father. But you know, his father, all the time he was away destroying his life, all the time, his father never quit loving him. I don't believe he ever quit praying for him. And when that son had wrecked his life and came to himself, the Bible says, which, by the way, is a good definition of repentance, had a change of mind. And he went back home. Dad was waiting for him. Dad was waiting for him. His unconditional love never changed. And he never approved of the rebellion of his son. Go with me to Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says this. Now we know it's the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Of course, he's talking to the children of Israel as well. But look what it says. It says in Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. What is that? An everlasting love is a love that never stops. It is a love that continues. Listen, children break their parents' hearts sometimes as they get older, but the love should not stop. The love should be continual. It should be a constant in the life of a child towards the child. Again, it doesn't mean you approve of what they're doing, but you respond to them biblically. And by the way, when you respond biblically, you're showing how much you love them. See, love, true love, acts in the other person's best interest. A loving parent gives their child what they need, not always what they want. Sometimes what they want is not good for them. And you say, no, you can't have that. No, you're not doing that. That's not being mean, that's being loving. You, you know as a parent that that kind of decision and behavior is gonna bring destruction and pain and sorrow to the life. And you step in and say, no, you can't do that. You're not going in that direction. And I say, what if they, what if they uh, grow up and they rebel and they take off? You still love them. That's unconditional love. But it isn't that you approve of what they did. 
Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Stay at it as a parent. It's not easy. I know years ago there was a book written, great name for a book. Parenting isn't for cowards. That is true. And if there's anything that'll grow up a person, hopefully, it's having children and training them up. I say hopefully because unfortunately there are some parents who never grow up, even though they have children. And this causes all kinds of problems in the family. So what do children need? What do your children need? I thought I would approach this through the three seasons of life as they are related to parenting. And so the first one is this, when the children are little or when they are little children. What do children need when they're little? They mainly need training and discipline. They need plenty of affection. And they also need praise of character. Now, did you hear the last one, praise of character? I didn't say praise of achievement. That's okay. Praise achievement, that's okay. Praise of character is more important than praise of achievement. Because some people are super achievers just by the way they are, their personality. But see, folks, they could end up achieving some things that are not really admirable at all in life. No, we praise them. The main thing to praise your children for is good character, right choices that they make when they're kind to their brother or sister or dog. You don't have to be kind to cats. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Be kind. Please be kind to cats, okay? Cats need you to be kind to them. You know I'm joking. I do like cats, okay? I do. And there's no but on that. I I do like cats. I have a problem allergy-wise with some of them, but I do like cats. But, you know, dogs are amazing, aren't they? They are amazing. They just are amazing. Boy, I can't wait to see the emails I get on that. Yeah, oh boy, you said it. Anyways, when they're little children, proper training, discipline, plenty of affection, also praise of character. Can I just toss this out to you, those of you who have the little ones? Don't try to reason with an infant or a toddler. You don't try to reason with them. A toddler, you don't start saying, well, let me give you four choices here, okay? No, 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 friend. That's not, they're not at that point. As a matter of fact, well, I'll continue on here. Let me say under number one, when they are little children, the first thing is this. The goal of child training is to develop disciples of Christ, all right? The very word disciple means a learner, and the idea is learning the word of God with the expectation of obeying it and following what it says. So when we talk about following Christ with your life, we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's not what you do to get to heaven. Salvation is a gift through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, trusting him as the one who died for your sins and rose from the grave. And you put your faith in him and him alone to get you to heaven. That's salvation. It's not based on works. But once we're saved, God wants us, yes, he wants us to grow in Christ and start walking with him as obedient children, First Peter says. 
But the goal of child training is to develop disciples of Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind as a parent. Always, always, always keep this in the forefront with your children. When they obey, keep it in the forefront of your mind. When they disobey, keep this in the forefront of your mind. Listen, this is difficult right now with this child, but I am. my goal is to train them up to love the Lord and to follow him with their life. It's not about you. It's about them and the glory of God in their life. Look with me to John chapter 8. Now remember I talked about love acts in the other person's best interest? Let me show you this. This is powerful. John chapter 8 and verse 31 Jesus had been speaking, giving them the, or giving them the gospel, explaining who he was and, and so forth. And it says in John 8, 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Some did not. So now he's addressing those who did, those who put their faith in him as savior. If ye continue in my word. So you've learned the truth. You've accepted me as your Messiah. Now, if you continue in my word, in other words, you start growing Then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth. Now watch this. And the truth shall make you free. Notice that if they become disciples of Christ, they will live with inner freedom. You know what that inner freedom, folks? It's it's a, uh, I use the term, it's a freeling. It's a feeling of freedom because you're not in bondage to sin, You will walk at liberty, the psalmist said. He says, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. People think, no, if you follow the Bible, you'll feel in bondage. No, you won't. Only if you're a rebel who doesn't want to will you feel in bondage. But a believer who loves the Lord and takes his word and says, oh, Lord, thank you for your word giving me instruction and then lives accordingly, willingly lives according to it. It'll produce a free feeling inside. And that brings with it joy and love and peace, the fruit of the spirit. Now, parents, is this not what we want for our children? Isn't that the way we want their lives to be? Yes. Yes. So that's the goal. So notice that if they become disciples, they'll live with this inner freedom. And by the way, teaching children, training your children to follow Christ, okay, to love the Lord, to grow once they're saved. I'm not talking about outward compliance, but an inner surrender to the Lord. It's an issue of the heart. They have to own it for themselves one day. Now, when they're little, they don't understand that. Don't say, oh, well, little, little Bobby, you know, here's the Bible, God's book, you know, you got to own it for yourself. They don't know what you're talking about. But hopefully through proper training and discipline and love and all the things we talk about in this, hopefully they will not only trust Christ the Savior, but then understand the importance of the word of God, investigate it and say, yes, you know what? The Bible is true. God is right. I want his ways for my life. And they embrace that for themselves and they live their life. Every child has to come to the point where they say, I know it's what mom and dad taught me, but I am convinced in my own heart that this is it. Parents, we got to do everything we can 
to nurture that and encourage them in that direction. Because outward compliance, that's all it is, is outward compliance. And as soon as they get out from under your roof, a life of disaster. Not a good place to be. So then we have to talk about discipline. When you discipline them, the key is to break their will and bring them into submission. Now, the Bible talks about using a rod. For decades now, people have been saying, ever since Dr. Spook, I mean Dr. Spock, People have been saying, well, the rod is, that's just figurative talk. The Bible doesn't really mean that. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I'm not talking about child abuse. Can I say this very quickly because I only have a limited amount of time? You do not know how difficult it is to preach a message like this because of so many people here in this room and who are going to watch this who come from all kinds of background of child abuse and everything else. And when I say use a rod, they immediately think of child abuse. I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm talking about self-controlled, proper, goal-oriented discipline of children. You're doing it for their benefit. You're doing it to bring them into training. You're training them. You're not punishing them. You're training them. There's a difference between the two. You're not pouring out your frustration on them. That can lead to abuse. You know what you're doing and you're doing it God's way. You're following the instruction manual and it works. It works. I say, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. We had three children. We raised them up, all of them. We trained them up biblically. And yes, we used the rod on all three of them. And they're all happy today. They're all saved. They're all serving Christ. Okay, if you do it right, it's not child abuse. And if you do abuse your children, yes, you should be reported. Because you have no right to abuse your children. But sometimes, you know, what is that? How do you define the word abuse, right? Again, I got to keep moving. When you discipline them, the key is to break their will and bring them into submission. It is a change of attitude that you are striving for, okay? A change of attitude is what repentance means. Proper discipline draws your child closer to you, not away from you. If you discipline your child and afterwards you say, come here, let me, let me hug you. And no, no. Or they want to go the other way or whatever. You've not succeeded. As a matter of fact, you've just made them bitter. You've made them bitter. And they're still in the realm of rebellion. You've got to break the will to where they are sweet. Okay. There's been a change of attitude and a child properly disciplined wants to be held, wants to be loved, wants to make things right with mom and dad and teach them, make it right with God as well. Confess that sin to him, that rebellion that they, it drives, here's what proper discipline does. It drives the foolishness out of them. So they will listen to you and submit to authority because all of life is an issue of submitting to authority of one kind or another. Overall, God himself through the word of God. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. look what it says. It says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness, biblically, is rebellion. Rebellion. It's, I don't need God. I'm an independent spirit. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That's a fool. God's ways, friend, are the only thing that'll bring freedom to your life. True freedom. 
Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Properly disciplined children are children who are in submission to the authorities in their life, and in the home, it's their parents. And that child, when they're in submission, they're in a state of being teachable. And when they're teachable, you can train them. You can disciple them when they're teachable. But if they're not teachable, listen, if you don't have control, there's no learning. That's a law of teaching, by the way. Any teacher will tell you that. You have to have control before there's learning. If you don't have control, there's no learning. That's why kids aren't learning anything today in the public schools, because there's no control. I know that's a generalization. They're learning all kinds of wrong things. Let's move on. Discipline is not something you do to a child, but for a child. Again, it's not punishment per se, it is training. This is what the word disciple means in the first place. Discipline is obviously related to the word disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who's living a disciplined life in submission to the Lord. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Do you see that? Wisdom is the principal thing, Proverbs says. How are you going to get it? It begins with the rod and reproof when your children are little. Proper training. This is what they understand. They understand the rod. They understand reproof. They understand love and affection. Well, try to reason with them on an adult level. But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. See, proper discipline, according to the Bible, is an act of love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receives. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod, look at this, hateth his son. Hateth his son. But he that loveth him chastens him betimes. That's an old King James word. It means early. It can mean early in life. It could also mean early in the series of rebellion, series of rebellious acts. Let's give you another one under this. Be consistent. Consistency brings peace. Inconsistency brings frustration, both to you and your child. Now, what am I getting at? Here's what I'm getting at, folks. Don't make a lot of rules in your family. Don't make a lot of rules in your family. The more rules you have, the more rules you have to enforce. If you have rules that you don't enforce, that'll make your children unstable because they don't know when you mean it and when you don't mean it. And it'll agitate them inside. It'll agitate their spirit. You've heard of the saying, well, that person got up on the wrong side of the bed today. That's not a good place to be. And when parents get up on the wrong side of the bed and they start dealing with their children, that can be a real mess, a real mess, and bring tremendous hurt and heartache and instability into the life of a child. There's got to be consistency. Not easy. None of this is easy. So I said, it's going to change you. This is all while they're little. Let me give you another one. Teach them the truth. This is the first responsibility of parents. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Teach them the truth. It says in verse 14, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Verse 15. Paul talking to Timothy and he says, and that from a child 
Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy learned from his grandmother and from his mother the word of God, from his grandmother and his mother. Paul says, continuing the things you've learned, teach them the truth. Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath or anger, but bring them up in the nurture That means training and the admonition. The word admonition means to put into the mind, to put into the mind. The nurture and an admonition of the Lord. This is the goal. Teach them the truth. Okay, this is when they're little. But children grow. And they're little and they're, you know, they're babies who can't walk and then they get to where they can crawl and then they get to where they can walk, okay? And then they get to where they are talking all the time. You know, you couldn't wait. Oh boy, you worked hard to get in them to talk. And now it's like, they never stop talking. (laughs) Well, you asked for it. You're the one who taught them. But they go up through that point, you know, and then there's the preschool age and then there's the kindergarten and elementary school. And before you know it, they're developing as a person. And then they become a teenager, a teenager. Wow. Hopefully, mostly instruction at that point. How are you going to be dealing with your children once they're teenagers? Hopefully, mostly through simple instruction and both verbal and hands-on with them. Okay, now remember, what have you invested into their life at this point? You've disciplined them properly. You've been consistent. You've loved them. You've given them proper affection. You've, you've encouraged them when they have shown good character in their life. That's like a blessing on their life that will encourage them to continue to do right things. It's positive. It's a positive thing. And so very, very hands-on to that point. Once they become teenagers, hopefully they're more set and you're doing it right. And now you don't have to discipline nearly at all. Okay. As far as any kind of physical discipline, such as spanking or anything like that. Mostly at that point, it's instruction, both verbal and hands-on. Hopefully they've learned good self-control at that point. That's what those early years are for. And then once they're teenagers, you should be serving the Lord as a family. Serving the Lord as a family. And by the way, from the first day you have children, if you have a local church to be a part of, you need to be a part of that local church with your family. Okay? Now this is, this is one of those soapbox things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. But over the years, you know, years ago, it was the fundamental Bible-believing churches, you know. They say, you know, our family's falling apart because every night of the week, dad's gone or mom's gone or something. And so they produce a bunch of rebels and all this. And so the church becomes the enemy. And then the years of focus on the family come in and they say, oh, no, no. And they made their family God, okay? And so people, even today, they still got this thing. Which is more important, church? Church or family? Church or family? Church or family? Here you go. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is most important. You know what that means? That means we're in church as a family. What a novel idea. Well, I can't come to church tonight. I can't be a part of this. There's a, there's a need, but sorry. We're getting together as a family. You've just made a conflict that shouldn't be there. 
We are to be serving Christ through the local church. Our family is supposed to be doing it. Our children grew up in church. They don't hate church. They're all in the ministry today. If your children grew up in church and they hate church, you failed somewhere along the line. Either that or your church was a disaster. There should be no conflict between church and family. The church should encourage the family to have a family life, a good family life where they spend time together and love one another and and all that's supposed to be in a good Christian family. And then the family should say, you know what? Part of God's plan for our life is a local church. We're gonna be there all the time. We're gonna be a part. We're gonna be part of the backbone. And the kids see, and mom and dad, here you go, by example, we'll get there in a minute. The kids see in mom and dad the importance of the local church, that it's the plan of God and this is the way it should be. And because mom and dad are so sold on it, there's much greater chance that the kids are gonna be sold on it. But when you come to church and then for lunch on Sunday, you have roast pastor for lunch, you're gonna lose your children because they see hypocrisy. The entire family should be serving Christ through the local church. Be spiritual in your natural life and natural in your spiritual life. Genesis 18, 19, talking about Abraham. God says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. This issue went teenagers. What do teenagers need the most at this point in their life? They need you to be an example. They need to see the reality of Jesus Christ because they're at a point in their life where they're really thinking about the issues of life. They're starting to come into an, a, an, a more of an, an adult-minded thinking to where they're starting to reason things out. They've got to see the example and the reality of Jesus Christ in the life of the parent. If you don't have this one, you're going to lose the battle with your children. This is vital. I'm giving a, a, an example, a bad example. A young boy came to Sunday school late. His teacher knew that he was usually very prompt and asked him if anything was wrong. The boy replied that he was going to go fishing, but his dad told him that he needed to go to church instead. The teacher was very impressed and asked the boy if his dad had explained to him why it was so important to go to church rather than to go fishing. To which the boy replied, yes, dad said he didn't have enough bait for both of us. Not good. Friends, if it's not real in our lives, then what makes us think it's going to be real in our children's lives? If we don't have a passion for Christ, then they probably will not either. They know what's important to us by what we spend our time on. Thinking about, talking about, investing in. The next statement, I don't say it to spook you, but I do say it to make you think. Kids have many questions and they don't ask all of them. They must see the reality of Christ in our lives and that means we are always the same whether at church or at home or on vacation. We are always the same. That is reality. That is an issue of integrity and that will have an impact on the life. I know we're not perfect, but that's not an excuse to be carnal and to try to justify it. Kids can see through that in a minute. And if we as parents are hypocrites, 
it'll turn them off to the things of God. Under this issue dealing with teenagers again, here's another one. Always be available to talk through issues in life that they are having. They're going to have issues. Always be available to talk through the issues of life that they are having. They need to feel the freedom to respectfully express their thoughts and feelings. Don't be shocked by what they say. As a matter of fact, if they say something that shocks you, you ought to be encouraged that they feel the freedom that they can express it to you without getting their head knocked off. Work through it. They're trying to navigate life. It's our job to help them through that, to reason with them. Take them back to the word of God. Explain to them why these things are true. You might say, oh, I'm so busy. I don't know if I have time for that. You better have time for it or else you'll lose them. You cannot really help them if you're not communicating with them. When you have teenagers, okay, you need to have a dialogue with them, not a lecture. They need a dialogue. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when a lecture is appropriate. Sometimes in love, you have to chew them out. That's rebuke. But other times, they've got questions. Do they feel like they can ask you? Are you going to point them in the right direction? Hopefully so. Every child will have to one day decide whether they will embrace Christianity for themselves or not. It usually takes place starting in junior high or high school or even college. Let's move on. Last one. When they are adults, okay? You brought them into the world. You remember when they were babies? Nobody had gray hair back then. You brought them through the teen years or elementary years, then the teen years, then off they went to college. Now they're away. They've moved out, hopefully. And uh, you've got a... They're adults. They've got their own kids. Your granny, one of ours calls me Grampy. That's a new one, Grampy. I'd never heard that before, little obs. Grampy, Grampy. It's cute. How can you fault her for that with those beautiful blue eyes that she has? Anyway, just a grandparent moment there. When they're adults, what do you do? How do you deal with them? Mainly counsel and encouragement. Mainly counsel and encouragement. All through life, there needs to be a relationship with your children of open communication, even once they move away and have their own families. Hey, young people, young married couples, okay? You got your own family now? Let me tell you something. You don't know everything. Nobody does, but you don't know everything, even though you got married and you have your own children now. You don't become a great parent the moment you have children. You need to lean. Proverbs 19.20, it says, Hear counsel and receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Those of you who are raising children now, you need to lean on the wisdom of your parents. If they are godly people in raising your children, and listen to the counsel they give you, chances are they probably won't give you a lot unless you ask them because they don't want to feel like they're running things in your family. But you need to understand there is a pool of wisdom there. If they are godly people, there's a pool of wisdom there in them. You need to tap into that. It's free. 
Listen to their counsel. All it means is that you're entering into the serious waters of responsibility. You don't want to blow it. Mom and dad, are there any things you learned when you went through this? That's all it is. You're not saying, raise my kids. No, they don't want to raise your kids. They've been through this. They had you. They have experienced things, though, that you haven't, and they can see things you can't. Doesn't it just make sense to lean on that? To tap that occasionally? Not all the time. You're not going to do it all the time, but to tap it occasionally. So lean on the wisdom of your parents. Under, also under this, when the Bible talks about getting counsel, it isn't directed towards little children. It's directed towards parents, towards adults, younger adults, especially. Becoming an adult doesn't mean you know it all and you don't need to get counsel anymore. Don't let your pride get in the way of this. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And let's move on to the fourth point. And the last point with this today is this. Be faithful in praying for your children daily, regardless of their ages. Prayer is very important. Be faithful in praying for your children daily, regardless of their ages. God can reach them when you cannot. What to pray for? Pray for salvation if they're not saved. Hopefully they're saved. Pray for salvation. Pray for dedication to the Lord. If they're not living for Christ, pray that they would. Pray for direction in their lives. Pray for safety in their lives. Pray for good health for them. Pray for spiritual strength in the battles of life that they're going through. If they're not married yet, pray for a godly spouse for them. A godly one, not just a spouse, but a godly one. Do you see the difference? There's a difference. Look with me to 1 John chapter 5. It's not easy, but it can be done. And this issue of prayer, look at what it says in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You know, I hope something I've said today, maybe you learned something new today, We've all learned something. We've been reminded of things. I know I have been going through this. Friends, if you're violating these truths that we've looked at, just change course. It's not too late. Change course. Maybe you've really been bad in certain areas. It's time for you. You know what it's time for you to do? Get one-on-one with your children, eyeball to eyeball, and confess your sin and failure to them and ask them to forgive you. I could never do that. You're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. The best thing you can do is to get it right. That shows them that you're real. And then live that out from that point forward. By the way, let me tell you something. Children forgive quickly when they're little. It becomes more difficult as they get older. Take care of these things, shall we? One more verse here in 1 John chapter 5. Perhaps you're here today. Perhaps you're watching over the internet. We're talking about Christian homes. You may not even be a Christian. You might say, well, I have a Bible. That doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who belongs to Christ. A Christian is one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not just believe he exists. Believe something about him. What is it? It's what we call the gospel. Let me explain this to you. This were to represent you and me. 
We're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. The Bible calls them sins. We're all sinners. That's why we have the problems we, by the way, it's why there are broken homes today because of sin. Yet the Bible says God loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He hates our sin, but he loves us. To get to heaven, all of our sin has to be gone. But we have a problem. We have sinned. And God says, you have, and your sin has to be paid for. There's a penalty that goes with it. And we would not only have to die physically, but spend forever separated from God in hell. Heaven's a perfect place. You got to be sinless to get there. We are not. I say, well, I'll do good works. That'll, I'm a Christian. I'll do good works. Well, that won't get you to heaven. Good works won't get you to heaven. So you got to be perfect. You have to have a payment for sin. The sin's got to be gone. Good works doesn't take away, they don't take away sin. How are you going to get rid of it? Well, the only way you can is through what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. This hand represents him. He's God in the flesh. He came down from heaven. And when he died on the cross, our sin, he had none of his own. He took our sin upon himself. God in the flesh took our sin upon himself. And he made the payment for your sin already. He was buried and he rose from the grave. And he says in his word, if you will put your faith in him that he made that payment for your sin, you're trusting in him that he has paid for all your sin, he will give you that moment everlasting life. And the Bible says you can know that you're going to heaven because of what he did and because God can't lie. God says if you will believe or trust in Jesus Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. Look at it in verse 13. It says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. His name means God who is our Savior. Jesus, we're talking about. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at this, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you're going to heaven if you will believe, trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, if you're trusting in the way you live your life, number one, that doesn't pay for sin. Number two, you got to be perfect. Who can be perfect? None of us can. So you fail in that. That's why it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Only trusting Christ as your Savior will take away your sin. Will you trust in Christ today? If you don't trust in Christ, the payment he made is not good on your behalf. And if you die in your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. So please trust in Jesus Christ, would you? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.